The Pinball Network is online. Launching. Just another pinball podcast. All right, this is Joel Engelberth with episode number 20. 20, excited to get to 20 episodes. And I could not be more excited for my guest today. I cannot believe I've had an opportunity to interview him. But um, today is just going to be a conversation with the one, the only, Scott Denisi. Scott, thanks for um, hopping on here. Hi, everybody. And yeah, no problem at all. This is uh, my pleasure. And I love talking on stuff. It's great. Well, good. Yeah. So I do have to give a small plug. The way that I actually connected with Scott, you know, I've I've had a few messages with him on Pinside here and there over the years. But yeah, come uh, on, Joel. We, come on. We we talk on Pinside. <laughs> yeah, but we the the true connection was actually um, there's a new Discord that is it's all about VR gaming, and um, there's a whole bunch of pinball people that hopped in there. And uh, Scott, you you've you've you're a fan of that. That's if I'm correct. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So I actually uh, just started getting into VR recently. um, And I usually don't get like blown away by technology. It's really difficult for me to like be wowed by much technologically. Uh, But uh, man, these VR headsets, these just consumer grade VR headsets are just ridiculously crazy. And if anyone's out there and has a chance to just try one, holy crap, do it. Yeah. It's I have a I have a Quest 2 which is kind of like really on the low end but it's an amazing it's an amazing amazing device and I joined the Discord I was invited by uh Jordan with Fliptronic and it's uh, there's there's more than just pinball people in this Discord but um but yeah I saw I'm like holy crap Scott Denisi's in here and Carl D'Angelo's in here and Goren's in here like these are all names within the pinball world that I recognize Eric you know the coder of Rick and Morty like it's it's like I get a I might have a chance to play virtual golf with these people. And it turns out it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely so, awesome. So that's the VR gaming podcast. I know Nick with Buffalo. So that's his little shout out. Uh, if anybody that's listening to this happens to cr- do that crossover of enjoying pinball, but also is tiptoeing in VR, find the VR gaming discord. It's it's, we're having a lot of fun there. Heck yeah. yeah. All right. So, I actually reached out to Scott because uh, in the Discord, somebody had complimented him on TNA. We were, we were kind of all fanboying out. Oh, Scott's here. TNA's great. And I just reached out to Scott and I said, hey, if there's any chance you want to talk about TNA um, and kind of the process of you making the machine, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And um, you were all for it. So thank you. And and yeah, let's dive into this. Excellent. All right. Um, so... Really, I, it's the homebrew scene. I think is incredible. I think anybody that takes on the 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 thought of building their own pinball machine from scratch is, uh, you know, I have nothing but respect for you. And it just the the question like what like what where do you how do you make that decision? So kind of at the beginning, where did you decide I'm going to make a pinball machine? And was this it? Was was TNA your first game, or, or or how did you like? How did you take that plunge? How did you dive in? Okay, so this this starts like way back uh, in like 2008, I believe. Um, I got involved with the uh, P Rock guys early on, and uh, we were I, like, I was just I had a Judge Dread right and. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't happy with the software in it. You know, it, it was like this game layout is just so cool. The software is just, you know, kind of, kind of lacked a little bit, you know? And I'm like, there's gotta be something I can do with this thing. And I just was Google searching around and the P rock guys, uh, Jerry Stellenberg uh, and uh, Adam Preble 
uh, those two guys were, were they built a control system that could plug into this pinball machine, allow me to computer control everything about it. And they wrote new software for it. And I was like, I have to get in there and check it out. So my first little glimpse into messing with any pinball machines was uh, dumping a P-Rock board into my Judge Dread and putting Jerry's code onto that game and playing it and just being like blown away by the fact that that computer that was sitting in my office is now controlling a pinball machine that's sitting huh. next to it. Like that just, it blew my mind. I'm like, well, this is great. This opens up so many doors to me because I'm always tinkering with stuff, right? I always have been my entire life, but uh, it that opens up all the doors, right? It just, the floodgates are open now. What can I do to this Judge Dread machine? So the first thing I did was the obvious thing was write new music for it. <laughs> because nice. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. So I didn't actually write anything from scratch for Judge Dread when I did that. But what I did was I just I I just sampled a bunch of stuff that I just really liked, kind of pieced it all together, made some mashup stuff, and um and I dumped it in the game and it was freaking awesome. And I pushed that back to uh to Jerry to uh to check out, you know, and you know it it goes back and forth like a whole bunch with with all these developers and everyone just kind of sharing their stuff on, it was the old pinballcontrollers.com website where we were sharing all this. Um, But yeah, so that, that really is how I got started in it. Um, I then, uh, after that judge dread thing, I mean, I, after I was digging in there and just kind of learning how stuff work and asking the stupid, like newbie questions to these, you know, amazing developers who have been, you know, developing on pinball platforms for a while. Uh, you know, I started really getting the hang of it. And, um, I then went in and, um, redid Earthshaker was my next major project, uh, by myself. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to do something a little more difficult this time because the P-Rock platform, those P-Rock boards were meant to replace a WPC, uh, CPU, right? So they had all the connections for the switches and all that stuff in the exact same place. So you could take out your CPU, your WPC game, dump this P-Rock in there, plug it all in exactly the same way, plug a USB cable to it, and now your computer controls it, right? Okay. But Earthshaker, everyone, well, hopefully everyone knows that yeah. is listening knows Earthshaker is not a WPC game. Um, this is a System 11 game with a completely different board set in it. And I was looking at this as a potential candidate to rewrite all the software because, again, I wasn't happy with the music. I wasn't happy with the uh, the, the code itself, right? The code mm-hmm. the code's actually not that bad, actually, to tell you the truth, in Earthshaker. It just needed a little bit more to it. Um, but the music drove me nuts. I hated it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I hate is a strong word. I don't really hate anything, but, you know, I yeah. didn't. I didn't like it, but it is nostalgic now. So it's a whole different, you know, we can talk about that some other time. But uh, so Earthshaker, right? So there's a guy named uh, Mark out in the UK who actually started designing a board that would interface the P-Rock with the System 11 driver board. So you could pull this System 11 driver board out, put a P-Rock and this interface board in, and now you can control with some, you know, other modifications. You can now control the System 11 game. So I'm like, well, there it is. I'm going to build one of these things. So started piecing everything together, um, got it all functioning, and then started writing code for this thing. 
there was a lot of hardware. I'm skipping over tons and tons of boring, boring hardware issue stuff sure. I had to deal with, like how to interface the, you know, the displays. And I had to write custom code to make the displays work. But there was a, there's another guy named Jim Askey who had started down that path. And I just kind of, I took what they started with and then expanded on it and uh, did some other things with it. But uh, Wow. So you're... So initially it was all just re like you, you kept the same game. You kept Judge Dredd, you kept Earthshaker. And then I also know you got involved with Pride of Pinbot. So yeah. you kept the mechanical, but you were just messing with the music and the software. Yeah, that was where I wanted to start because at that point, that's what was bugging me the most about that stuff. Um, because I was still pretty new at pinball or pretty new into the pinball scene at that point where I have not explored all the games, right? Mm-hmm. You get to this point where you're kind of, like like myself it's just i've been in this hobby so long now that there's it's so rare for me to find a machine that i have not played yet um there are plenty out there but it's kind of hard to find them um whereas before you know you could go to a show and there there are rows of games that you have not played so the mechanics of it still weren't you know boring to me right and by, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, the boring is probably not the right word, but I, w- I wasn't oversaturated at that point with the same thing. So um, the software stuff. So now I've got Earthshaker, right? Let's just say I've got all the hardware working. Um, I go into Earthshaker. I rewrite everything. So I had to start from scratch on Earthshaker. So 100% of the rules that are in that Earthshaker Aftershock game I made, I had to write from scratch. So what I did was I sort of copied what Earthshaker had in there that I liked, and I just expanded on it even further and made things like super jackpots and uh, different ways of starting multi-ball. Um, nice. But yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. It had a, I put some extra like stuff in it, like I had a light strip in the back box mm-hmm. so that during the game... Uh, it would flash and light up the boards. I actually took the back glass out and put a piece of clear glass in it so that when I brought it to shows, I could show people like, hey, look at the board set in this game. Oh, you know, really? that's like, cool, yeah. Yeah, I prettied it all up so it looked really cool. And uh, when it was sitting in a track mode, it would actually light up the boards and just huh. keep a nice light on them. So that was kind of neat. Do you know if anybody has, like, I mean, do you still have an Earthshaker? Do, do you know if anybody else has an Earthshaker with Scott Denisi code in it? They don't. So there is one that exists right now. Um, it's the one that I built, and it's owned by a buddy of mine. Um, but nobody has, uh, the code is out on the internet right now. I open sourced it completely so okay. that people can go in and see how I did it. Um, the, yeah, I, to my knowledge, there's, there's zero other games besides the one I made running that code right now. Okay. Uh, it's it's so much of a hassle getting the hardware to work properly that I think it kind of turns off a lot of people. Yeah, oh, and also plug and play is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. it's not plug and play yeah. whatsoever, like at all. Um, I also had to put an auto launcher into the game as oh, well. Okay. So all there's right. other things that like, you know, like this, I don't think anyone's ever really going to build another one. Um, I suppose I could if I really wanted to, but I just kind of moved on. And yeah, that's fair. Did some and other was, things. Was the next one then Bride of Pinbot? Was yeah, that so the... the Bride of Pinbot was was kind of next on that list where um, I got. So I knew uh, Kuhn from Dutch Pinball, mm-hmm. and him and I were we became friends on PinballController.com from all the P Rock stuff, and he was messing a little bit with the Bride of Pinbot you know, like by redoing some of the software in there. Yeah. And um, 
it wasn't until later, like I, the because I, I had a bright up pinbot. I'm like, dude, uh, why don't we try to make this work, right? Like, let's let's just do it, right? Let's finish it. You know, give sure. me give me the code. I'll launch it on here. And I kind of like, I kind of like, uh, you know, just bugged him about it a bunch until we started working on it, you know, and and started coming up with how the hardware is going to plug in and everything. And I actually have, um, I have the bright up pinbot here still. I still own it. Um, this is the first. Uh, Bright of Pinbot 2.0 that was built in the United States. Nice. So I think there were two more overseas in the Netherlands, and the, but this is the first one here with the actual hardware in it. Um, but yeah, we started working on that. I did a bunch of the hardware design for that, you know, just helping them get the parts needed, come up with how it's going to hook up, like how the computer is going to start up and shut down, how you're going to read certain switches that don't... Um, but the computer can't see like the flipper switches in Bright of Pinbot. The computer can't tell if you're hitting a flipper switch or not because they're huh. high, they're high power switches. Okay. So we had to come up with it and rig up something to let the computer know so that it could shut the flippers off and still, you know, you can click the buttons and enter your initials without the flippers flipping, you know? All right. Nice. So that's yeah. Cause otherwise it was just using like the end of, I think it was using end of stroke switches or something or, something i don't I don't remember exactly there's something to that that i'm missing it might have been like a, a voltage drop or something on the line and it knew you were hitting the flipper switch i don't remember exactly it was something weird yeah um well, so anyway i, we I had, actually we, played one I, I we had one at tappers here in indianapolis had one and it just the fact that you could you could pick the original game or your game i just that's awesome because it feels like you have two games but it it's it was really impressive really impressive oh yeah like so so coon did all the programming for that and uh a guy named jewel uh did all the music and he freaking killed it man like that that music in that game he he nailed it um but uh yeah like i really didn't do that much besides the hardware and testing and i did some voice acting for it too because they <laughs> needed someone with a, a an accent from the united states so nice <laughs> Way I was like, oh, us. yeah, I know. I'm just like, oh, I'll just do it because you know it's it's no big deal. Um, something else cool too is the voice of the bride in 2.0. We tracked down the actual lady who did the voice in the original game. Oh and wow! We got her to re-record a bunch of new vocals for it, and she came up to like she came to my house actually and sat in my studio and was able to record all the stuff for Bride of Pinball 2.0. That's really neat. That's that's really cool. I bet yeah. she enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if like that's super common knowledge or not, but it's like, yeah, that's uh that was a huge part of it. I think I watched uh like a there was like a trailer or some advertisement I saw and it said that, you know, with the original voice actor and I mean, that's impressive. That's really mm-hmm. neat. Absolutely. Yeah. So from that, so so you wrapped up Bride of Pinbot 2.0. I, so was TNA a thought during any of this or was it when did yeah when did you now so tna so tna wasn't a thought yet because i was just kind of messing around and i had you know i was working a, a job where i was i was really just i was working very hard very long hours and this uh, is before pinball life this is before pinball life yeah okay so then in 2015 i got the opportunity to switch over and quit my crazy job my crazy corporate job to work at pinball life with terry and uh, I just, I jumped on it. I'm like, you know what? It, that's great. You know, I, <laughs> I was at a point in my life where I just needed more of a work-life balance. Yeah. You know, and I kind of figured this would help me 
balance out my free time a little bit because, you know, Terry's not going to work me 70 hours a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm like, all right, let's do that. You know, I'll take, you know, it's like, I'll take a pay cut and, uh, you know, a little easier of a, or not easier, but like a more, um, I don't know, a less stressful job. Yeah. So, uh, so I went and did that in early 2015. And, uh, then from there, you know, after working there for a while, I was looking at these games that were coming out and I'm like, I, I, like Wizard of Oz had come out and this is a big thing. This was one of the big things here that I noticed that really bugged me was when Wizard of Oz came out, I was like, Hey, that's, that's really awesome. That hardware platform is absolutely amazing. Those RGB lights yeah. uh, in that game are absolutely amazing. And, but I'm like, they overused the crap out of the RGB and they just kind of destroyed the, the, you know, this not nostalgic feel, but the, the, uh, the impact that those RGB lights have because they're always doing RGB stuff. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I was like, man, if I were to ever build a game, I would build it with all RGB, just like Wizard of Oz, but I would trick people into thinking it wasn't RGB, right? Huh. Yeah. And I would make it look like a normal pinball machine, but then all of a sudden, like, boom, holy crap, it's not a regular pinball machine. It's all RGB. What the hell's going on? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Like, you could use it less frequently to make more of an impact. So... So I was like, okay, that that's what I would do if I were to make a game. And then like I kept saying stuff and I kept, you know, I, I kept in touch with all the P Rock guys and we were all just kind of messing around with stuff still. I was still kind of tinkering with Earthshaker, you know. Um and I uh <laughs> I realized too that there were a few other people building some homebrew games. And I'm like, you know, uh, homebrew is gonna be a big thing. So I started making homebrew like a homebrew section on Pinball Life where I put the generic parts in there so people could all kind of find them. And I said to myself, I'm like, all these people are building all these crazy parts and doing all this crazy stuff with these homebrew games. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. Like I want, if I were to build a pinball machine, I would make it all from standard parts that are off the shelf. Right. right. Something that you could just go and buy like, Hey, you want to buy a drop target? There it is. You know? stand-up targets right there you know here's a scoop thing right standard scoop like so all generic parts so uh, i kept saying i kept having these like if i were to do it right things in my head right sure and then another thing that happened too was my friends and i would play dollar games all the time and at this point i'd been in pinball for a long time in two, by 2015 and we were starting to get a little tired of the Valley Williams games, right? Because there wasn't, at that point, there wasn't a lot of other manufacturers. So it was like the Valley Williams games were like the collector's thing, right? So everybody yeah. had them, right? And we were playing a lot of those and we're kind of just like, you know, kind of getting sick of those. And all of my friends and myself, we started regressing backward, right? Okay. And, and started appreciating more of the games with, you know, from the 80s and the 70s. You know, just getting back to those single level layouts, you know, those uh, System 11 games, which I'm still a big fan of that era. Yeah. Like, actually, a lot of my games are System 11 games. But, uh, yeah, so we started regressing backward there. And I'm like, well, if I were to ever build a game, I would try to build 
like a single level Bally style game with, you know, the RGB used properly with all the latest and greatest technology with off the shelf parts and all this other stuff, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it sounds, yeah, you have a very specific design constraint that you've given yourself is what it yeah, sounds like. like. That's what I would do because a, it's easy to get the parts. B, the Bally style games are super fun, awesome to play like dollar games with your friends, right? Mm -hmm. It's a social thing. You want, you want people to be social. You don't want people to be playing 45 minute games of Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. At least I don't. I mean, I, I'd like Lord of the Rings, but I can't play it for 45 minutes, man. That's just crazy. Um, I I have ADD too bad. (laughs) It doesn't like, (laughs) uh, so, so I gave, so all these constraints are just like, you know, it just makes it like kind of easier to to build a game i'm like i maybe i should just do it so one day i'm just like you know what screw it like i've got all this mechanical electrical engineering um i can program i can write music i can do the light show things because i worked with dutch pinball and um i helped them refine their light show generator which is what i use uh to make light shows like in tna and nice so i'm uh you know that it's, uh, I'm like, well, I, I have no excuses. Yeah. So, so, then you, you so I did, did it. it. Like, so yeah. I just did it. Yeah. I just started digging in. Uh, I started sketching out a few things. Um, originally TNA was going to be a pretty evil, uh, game. I was never, it's not, it, you don't consider it an evil well, game. <laughs> I meant, and I'll, and I'll get to what I mean by evil in a second. It's sure. brutal for sure. Yeah. But, uh, it was actually, I never wanted to make this as a game for the public. Okay. I was just going to, I was going to make a game for myself and for my friends to enjoy that would stay in my house and we would just play dollar games on it and have a great time. So, uh, I made it kind of tongue in cheek a little bit originally. And the original, uh, the original thing was that you were going in and trying to just wipe out like a complete civilization, right? Okay. It was okay. like, it was like not like not nice. It was just like you were the bad person, right? Cause I had never sure. seen a pinball machine where you were the bad guy mm-hmm. and like you're trying to fight the good guys and, and win. Right. Like, and so it's not very common, but it's, it's not, I don't know. It's just not acceptable really. Yeah. For something that, that gets produced for you to be the bad guy. So you know, and not in the way that I envisioned it anyway. Okay. Um, so that was how it was originally envisioned. It was going to be just totally just evil and dark. And, and the game was, was is going to be brutal, which the layout is brutal. And I never changed that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, fast forwarding a little bit to production, I cleaned up the story and actually refined the story in a better way than I originally thought it anyway. Yeah. Um, so the story as it sits now is... I'm so glad that I switched gears on it because it's such a, uh, it's such a better story and such a, 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 just more, I don't know. I just, I really like it a lot better. Yeah, I agree. And and you said, it's interesting because a few of the notes that I made for myself were like, okay, so you've, you've explained your, your design constraints that you made for yourself were off the shelf parts, single level. Cause you're, you're going back to like the fun, simplistic days of, of that. So the mm-hmm. fact that you immediately, you know, you said off the, off the shelf parts, you know, there's a lot of people that, or at least their initial complaint was there's no ramps, but obviously mm-hmm. if your design constraint is no, you know, off the shelf parts, there are no 
there is no default ramp. Every ramp in every game is unique. So it is. That, I'm assuming there was ramps was never on the table in your mind. Well, ramps was ramps was off the table to begin with because I wanted it as a design constraint because uh, I wanted to prove to people because in my head I thought and I challenged myself. I said to myself, I said, I bet I can make a game that people want to play that doesn't have ramps on it because people are always like ramps, 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 yeah. you know, like does the game have ramps on it? No, it's a shit game. Yeah. You know, like that. I mean, this is a long time ago, remember? So this is like, that actually was like people's mentality back a long time uh-huh. ago. Um, so I wanted to prove a point uh, on a lot of things. Well, and- I think, I think what's really interesting is my friends and family, and a lot of them are not into pinball at all. And the games that typically draw them in are the games with ramps and toys and crazy, you know, the ball's going to do something crazy and, and mm-hmm. that's what they want to see. But, you know, once they see it, that's cool. They're done. Yeah. And But I will tell you, I mean, spoiler, we can talk about it more, but like TNA is 100% their favorite game to play when they come over to our to my house. And it's mostly due to the social part of it. But uh, music is a huge part of it. But it's amazing how well this game captures any type of audience, whether it's a skilled pinball player or a novice, without needing toys and quirky little mechs and stuff, which yeah. is a huge so, compliment to your design. Well, there's a there's a uh, a reason for a lot of that, which I can ex- actually explain why, uh, which is very very strange. <laughs> so, um, so going into that a little bit though, with with TNA, um, there. I, when I was programming it and coming up with the overall, like just high level design of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. I needed it. I needed it to be a fun social game. Right. That yeah. was one of the constraints, right. I wanted it something that my friends and I would love to play together and do dollar games on. And the more brutal the game, the more fun it is to do dollar games on it. Sure. Okay. To yeah. a certain extent, obviously, like you can't have something that's just not fair, right? It's got to be, it's yeah. got to be brutal but fair. So that's that's that constraint, right? But something to keep in mind too is to make the game engaging, and to make this thing engaging without ramps and without stupid, you know, toys all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, you need to know what you have to think about a little bit about what the player is actually like, how the machine communicates with the player, right? So there's audio, right? Mm-hmm. There's visual, which is the, um, which I'm calling the light shows, right? Yeah. The, so that, that is a, one of the interfaces, right? There's um, the touch sensitivity, right? So like uh, shaker motor. Yeah, shaker motor, right? man. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. So that, that's another one, right? And yeah. then um, you have just like the overall, like just, just artwork and stuff to like bring people in, Right. Um, but it really comes down to that, right? So those, those main things have to be just outstanding. So I really focused a lot on the light shows and the music and the sound effects and how those three things interact with each other. So whenever there's a light show going, you'll notice that there is audio that goes with the light show. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a you know, a sweep across the play field with, you know, for no reason, right? Yeah. Everything's got a reason. Everything's got a sound effect and it's all being portrayed, you know, and communicating with the player. So that's why I think it's so engaging. And I think a lot of, um, and again, I'm never putting down, like nothing I say tonight, I'm putting down any other manufacturer. I'm just saying like, there's just different ways of doing stuff. 
but yeah. I have noticed there are games that just don't have that stuff in sync, right? The music isn't in sync with what's going on and on the game or the sound effects aren't totally in sync with the light show, the light shows happening and, um, you know, things like that. Like if you see an explosion on, on yeah. the play field, right? Like you kill a reactor, it, the explosion happens at the same time as the crazy bright light show, right? And it happens 100%. at the same time as the shaker going off, right? And the shaker goes off at a certain, you know, intensity, right? It's just, yeah, it's all, it all has to communicate together to the player. Man, the shaker, when you have a reactor, when you, when all you have to do is hit those last few shots to destroy a reactor and the, mm-hmm. the, the shaker's like pulsing. Yeah. And you, if you have a ball cradled, like the shaker, at least in mine, it goes so much that the ball is like bouncing on the flipper. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I, no other machine shakes like that. Maybe Rick and Morty, but it is such a, I mean, it just sucks you in like you, mm-hmm. the, and I, I love it. And the other thing that, that I, my brother was the first person that I noticed this the first time he played TNA. Um, the moment you plunge is when the base hits. Mm-hmm. so normally the music is playing but the moment you plunge that ball that's when the douche douche that's when the bass actually kicks in and mm-hmm. every single person the moment that bass kicks in you just you can't help but start nodding your head i mean it's yeah. it's it's perfect what's it's funny awesome. is it's uh it's dance music and what's what's interesting about that is um i, I so i've dj'd for years since the early early 2000s okay and like I, if you have anything that's like offbeat, it drives me insane. So all of that, like even when you launch the ball, the computer in there is waiting till the four four beat cycle, yeah, before it kicks the base on. So it knows you launched the ball, but it waits just a split second to line up properly with the shooter groove music, so that you don't know it's a different song, right? Yeah, it's. Uh... It's, yeah, that, it's, that's why I think because in people, the bag of people's brains like that, that kind of, just, oh yeah. you know, it, that's just that's, the way it should be working, you know? I, what a great, I mean, it, it starts it off so well and mm-hmm. it's amazing. I love that you're saying that, and it makes total sense that, that from the beginning you, you were focusing this game on a social experience and that's yeah. why, that's the reason why. So real quick, I own this game. When I got into pinball, I could only one, own one machine, and and one of the of the local bars had this machine, and I played it with the operator, who's a buddy of mine, um, and I played it with my wife, and it was the first game that I'd ever played that had co-op, and it just blew my mind, the idea of co-op. I was like, mm-hmm. this is how I want to play pinball, and so when he ended up selling it, I sold everything I had, and I bought TNA. This was my only game. Oh my gosh, and I crazy. I played the heck out of it for two weeks. I only owned it for two <laughs> weeks and I was inviting everybody. I could, this is pre COVID and all that. So oh, I, yeah. I was inviting all of my friends, church friends, everybody, anybody that, that could come over my family and, and we played it and everybody had a blast, but I could only afford one game. And what I found was, you know, just having this as my only game in my mind, I thought, you know what? I need a game with more depth. And so mm-hmm. I ended up trading it to a buddy of mine for a Hobbit. So I went from like very, you know, like very linear to like huge depth. And um, I owned that game for a year. But what I found was, you know, when you play Hobbit, you're going to play that game for 30, 45 minutes every single. and, And I and I loved it. But I realized I just wasn't playing pinball that often because it it was like, well, do I have 45 minutes to spare right now to go play a game of pinball? 
and it almost taught me that it's like what I miss about TNA is I and and that was the other thing about the Hobbit is I never wanted to play it with anybody because I knew our ball times were so long, especially mine versus theirs. Mm-hmm. It just it removed the thing about pinball which I loved, which was playing social games. And so the more I enjoyed Hobbit or played Hobbit, the more I missed TNA. So I ended up getting it back. The exact same game I sold, oh, nice. I ended up selling Hobbit and got TNA back. And now that it's back, I realized like. What is this? Is what I I I know what I had because I missed it, and it's the social. This is social pinball. This is like that the short, brutal ball times that draw you in over and over and over again. Um, and this is this is the type of game I can get my friends and family to play because it doesn't have this ridiculous code, you know, depth that you have to explain. Like it's very we we all know what we're doing and we're going to do it together, and mm-hmm. and that's why it's. I will preach the love of TNA to anybody because I feel like it offers so much more than what people realize. Um, but yeah, so we, we discussed a little bit of your design constraints. So you said old game or like eighties, seventies, eighties games, single level. But I love that you said like from the get go, RGB LEDs was a mandate, was a must. But when you came down to your first mechanical thing, I know I've seen in a podcast, George Gomez, like, he goes to like shows and he just has these huge piece of paper and it just, it all that's on the paper is an Italian bottom. And he just mm-hmm. start tells people to start drawing. So what, when you opened CAD or whatever you opened, what was the first mechanical, like what were the first mechanical things you placed that you built around? So I actually started at the top. So I already okay. knew what the bottom was going to look like. I wanted to keep it a very uh, Italian bottom, right? I didn't want to okay. mess with that at all because I wanted this to be very familiar to people. Because in order for people, I think, to have fun with this, they're going to have to have some sort of familiarity. But I wanted to completely blow their minds with what was going on up top. So um, I had this whole nuclear reactor theme in my head, right? So I'm like, well, I have to create a reactor core, right? Okay. And what's, like, so I built this core up on top, right, that you could that you could shoot the ball into. And it had slingshots in there. Um, and I ended up adding the flipper later. Interesting. And, uh, it didn't have the flipper originally. Well, I mean, it's, I never built one without the flipper. So okay. I never actually cut anything without that, but that's how I kind of, how I kind of started anyway. Um, sure. So I started, I, so I started putting all that together. I got, I put a scoop on the end of it because I wanted the ball to be fired at the flippers as much as possible. And as fast as possible. And as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and th- what's really funny too is uh, my buddy Josh, who is uh, the programmer over at American Pinball, um, he had built a homebrew back in the day, and he we had some test code on one of his games, and uh, it was um, he had a scoop, and basically the test code just said, "Hey, if the switch and the scoop gets hit, just kick it out immediately." And it yeah, and it didn't do <laughs> yeah. any delay or anything like that. And when I saw that, like it was just test code, right? It just it didn't make any sense for his homebrew, but like that ball went in there and just went right out. Yeah. And I'm like, that is really awesome. So I have to give him credit for that, like wanting to do that, but you know, it's, it it needed to come out of there as fast as possible. Um, The drop targets were always there, but you want to know something really funny about this. Um, And I should probably share some of these CAD files and pictures. Um, Actually, the pictures might still be on my website. Uh, I wanted to make that drop target path a little bit curved. So it kind of slowed the ball down. Okay. And what it was supposed to do at the end was it was going to curve back around and go to a kicker. 
and sit. So the ball would, would go up past the drop targets, do like a 180 and sit on top of a, uh, like a, a knocker. Right. Okay. And that, that knocker was actually going to just hold the ball there and then fire it into the orbit when I wanted to, as like a ball lock. Oh, okay. And, uh, I actually cut that play field, uh, and it just did not work reliably. So okay. I'm like, you know what? I just, I just scrapped that whole thing and, uh, moved the drop targets, made them straight. And then, uh, just said, Hey, we'll just lock balls in between the drop targets. So, um, that in, in itself, people think I invented locking yeah, balls behind drop DC, targets. DC lock. You totally you, didn't invent yeah. that. Yeah. So that's like, so like even Stern Star Trek uh, will grab a ball behind the drop target. I think uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon has a thing that a ball can be go behind the drop target. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been done before. I, it's never been done in like a linear fashion like that, where it was a purposeful ball lock where it held it. Um, but, you know, it's um, all these ideas have just been, they're just based off of other things that I may have seen or you know, worked with over in the past, you know, sure. I just kind of put them all together and change them and kind of the same thing with the judge dread, right? I took the code that was already there and I kind of just changed things the way I wanted to see it to make it better. Right. Sure. Kind so, of like how, how, how Facebook took my space and changed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. So, so you said, okay, so you got your, your CAD file out or whatever, and you said Italian bottom check. I, I I'm messing with my nuclear reactor up there. And then you, you said you, you were doing the, your ball lock on the right. But mm-hmm. the real question is when, when did you drop that pop bumper on the right? You know, like when did that enter? Cause that, I think, I mean, this is a brutal game and part of it's because, you know, the, you're really shooting a lot of targets that are close mm-hmm. and it's fast. There's nothing yeah. that slows anything down, but the pop bumper on the right is, I mean, that is what makes TNA just brutal yeah, is that really. pop bumper. So yeah. when did that show up that was actually right at the beginning because i wanted to put a pop bumper um in the game somewhere where i I was really really fed up with how people were using pop bumpers and basically how stern was using pop bumpers Mm -hmm. like during this era right they've gotten a lot better over the years but like they would have a section of three pop bumpers the ball falls in it it goes and then it dribbles out the side every time (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I'm like, what a waste of a mechanical thing. Right. Like, you know, I get it. Like, you know, it's, they're, they're doing things their own way. I'm not criticizing, but like maybe a little bit, but not, not not terrible. Yeah. It just, a ball gets in the pops. It's three coils up there. It just wastes some time. That's so much mechanical action up there. That's not doing anything really. And I wanted to, I wanted to use one pop bumper and make the most use out of one pop bumper. And that was where I put it and it's exposed all over the place. So, yes. Yeah. So I wanted it to be, you know, I wanted that pop bumper to be brutal. I wanted it to come at the flippers. I wanted it to shoot up the play field and across the play field, you know? Yeah. And obviously that love of your pop bumper and its brutality. I mean, we, I, we could probably have a whole nother conversation on Rick and Morty, but obviously you took that and moved it even closer to the flippers and Rick and Morty, which is, I just, I just wanted to see what would happen. With that just yeah. high level with Rick and Morty, I did that as just an experiment. Um, and uh, I said to myself, like when I cut the first Whitewood, mm-hmm. uh, I said, I said, hey, this this pop bumper, I'm just putting it here just to see what happens. Um, 
I know Andromeda. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, with that. No, I have Andromeda. played that actually. Yeah, yeah. so that, that has a pop bumper over on that side too. It's not real close to the flipper like Brick and Morty is, but I was like, I'm, I'm just going to replace a slingshot. So I replaced the slingshot pop bumper, kind of gave it a 10% chance of it making it to the game, like to, oh, to the no. final version. It's... And I was, well, I, you know, I was like, I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, it just, I mean, it could be, could be junky right there. It could be in the way too much, right? Because mm-hmm. it sticks out a lot further than a slingshot does. Um, you know, so put it in there. I played it. I liked it. I had a bunch of my friends who I trusted to tell me the truth, play the game. And they all said that pop bumper has to stay. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well then I gave it like an 80% chance of staying. And the reason I only gave it an 80% chance of staying was because I didn't know how the general public would react to that yeah. sort of change down there. And I did not want to make, you know, spooky look bad. Cause I mean, yeah. remember this is Rick and Morty is a contract game for spooky right so i designed the game for them it's a spooky game so i didn't want them to look bad or you know just be too too much for normal people like the theme rick and morty needed to be able to be played by normal people and expert players right yeah and it it i get it i understand why you were nervous but it's it's Mm -hmm. an awesome feature but yeah, so like yeah, Rick and Morty, another amazing game. I unfortunately don't have one, but it's uh, we. I would love to talk to you about that. Yeah, another we can make time. it. We'll, we can do yeah. another. Yeah, we'll do another one on that one. Eventually. Sure. So I I'm just looking at the play field. I actually have a picture pulled up, and and I think so. Initially up top, you had rollovers. I know you had roll like star oh, rollovers, yeah. Yeah, that's and right. you said, and and what those were removed between the original and the spooky model was that a, a cost thing or a, a what? No, why it, were was, those? it was my decision to pull those. Um, I could not on the Whitewood. Um, originally the reactor, so the reactor heats up by hitting the slingshots, right? Mm-hmm. But on the Whitewood in the original code, I had the reactor only heating up when you hit the rollovers. So the okay. rollovers would add reactor; it would advance the reactor, right? So. I started doing that. I watched, I brought that Whitewood to so many different places and I was constantly like constantly adjusting those switches like daily, like when it was at a show. And I'm like, we, you know, if, if, if for a homebrew, perfectly fine, doesn't matter, you know, it's all good. But like for an actual production game that had to be changed. So what I did is I ran an experiment um, at a show one time where all I did was I disabled the rollovers for advancing the reactor and I used the slingshot switches as a, yeah. as a reactor advance and the rollovers when they, you know, when the ball roll over them, they just light up, they just yep. flicker real quick. And like, so, and zero people noticed. Huh? Nobody. Yeah. I had no idea until I watched uh, an earlier, like a video of the Whitewood stream later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, whoa, that's totally different. And I, I, you know, to be honest, star rollovers in other games are neat, but I, to- I totally get it because when you get that ball up there, you just want that ball to bounce around as much as possible. Yeah. So roll. And I'm also assuming the ball would deflect a little bit depending on how it hit those star rollovers and whatnot. Yeah, and that's so, okay though. That's not a big deal. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That, it was fine. It's just the reliability it just wasn't there, man. Sure. <laughs> it really wasn't. So another feature that I think is this was so there's a few things that I, I give you credit for, and I know you're saying none of this none of this is new. Like you 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 grab bits and pieces from stuff, but co-op is one of them. Co-op is mm-hmm. is absolutely yeah. something that I that that was a game changer. But also the the display 
for the core heating up and the display for the ball save. Yes. Once I saw the display for the ball save, I'm like, why in the world does like, why is this not the norm? That yeah, makes total sense to me. Yeah. That's why that, that is one of the big things that I thought of when I put that in there. And, and to, to be completely honest about that, that is something I had never seen. I think at that point, at least okay. I don't know that I've seen anything like that. Although the, I think Lexi Lightspeed had like a very early version they were looking they were building like a prototype version or something like that and i think it did have a counter between the flippers on the lcd okay um so but i don't think i i honestly don't think i copied it (laughs) okay that's fair yeah i don't but i but you know i think it did exist before that so it's like i'm gonna go ahead and go i don't know uh but i put a I did a an old school LED style display in there instead of something super fancy and like technologically new. Oh, it's it's awesome. And because I wanted it to look like, you know, like a piece of machinery. So that, you know, and that ended up being the display. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put one in the core also because I wanted to be able to read the core temperature. And I want, um, and this this leads me to another thing that not many people actually know about the game was um i originally did not want it to have an lcd yeah your yours doesn't your the whitewood doesn't right it, or, no, it or does, you ended up it, it does. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it does uh so i didn't i wanted the game to completely tell the user or the player what was going on at all times just mm-hmm. from the play field because that's where you're looking you aren't looking up at an LCD to, to see stuff, right? And I don't think you need to look up there. No, I don't so. think any. I don't think any of my friends or family that are novice look at the LCD at all. I mean, yeah. the light show and everything communicates exactly what you need to hit. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's well it done. And I think all yeah. pinball machines should do that. Um, they they don't, but I think they should. Um, so the LCD was a little afterthought on it. And the reason I did put the LCD in there was because I, um, it was actually easier for me to put an LCD in it to do things like the service mode than it was for me to program some cryptic weird thing into the numeric displays to try and do service mode stuff. So I put the LCD on there. I threw some, you know, some graphics that were just totally distorted and like VCR affected and just to keep it in the same sort of, um, you know, same sort of era of look, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah. Then, right. But I'll tell you what, though, you can play TNA. Like you could, you could black out the uh, LCD oh, yeah. completely yeah. and and not not really worry about it. Like and still have great games of of TNA with your friends. Hundred percent. Yeah. And so, so just to wrap it up mechanically, I mean, the last. I mean, I'm I'm so glad you have a spinner and the spinner. It sounds great. It looks great. I'm glad you threw that flasher underneath it that flashes. Yeah. Uh, Again, that's, I mean, a, that's a thing that's been done many times. Steve Ritchie is a big fan of yeah. that flasher under the, uh, under the spinner. And I, uh, I, I'm also a huge fan of that. Oh, for sure. So yeah. was there anything else mechanically that was in the game that didn't make it or anything else that you tried and failed? I mean, or was mm-hmm. this essentially the layout from, from the get go? Well, it was, it was very close besides that whole drop target thing getting redone. Um, it was very, very close. I was going to put drop targets on the left side okay. uh, where the, where the rad the targets rad? are. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, drop targets really slow a game down a lot. And yeah. this, I needed, 
I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't want this game is speed. Yeah. I needed it to be speedy and, and still. And I also, at the same point, you're at a point now where you're like, man, I'm spending way too much money on this. Stand up up targets. It is. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, okay. So with that said, what do you know, like roughly how many white woods then did you, before you started traveling with the one that, that you, you know, used, was there, how many do you think you cut? I think I cut about three. So three. it wasn't that many actually. And I still have them in my garage. So they're just sitting, yeah. they're just sitting in my garage right now. I hopefully they're not getting damaged, but God, that's <laughs> awesome. So, okay. So there's a few parts here. I know we've already talked about the light show and, and you said that I love that you're saying that that was from the beginning and the light show is what a lot of my friends and family, the music and the light show is what people just really get into and i've i have the the led speaker grills and then i actually tapped into that and put rgb leds behind the back box oh yeah Um, and so my whole wall lights up you know compared to that and i i just don't know enough about electronics to know because i would love more (laughs) i I want this is the one game that it's like give me as much light as i can i got the light up rails on the side light up flipper buttons oh yeah those light light up rails are so good i was really hoping someone would do that because i uh I um I, we had Matt Andrews draw those mm-hmm. side rails like that art into the side rail, uh-huh. like that's that's hand drawn stuff. That's not just a, a font that we pulled off the internet, you know. Uh-huh. Like none of this is like Matt Andrews drew that. Like it's just so cool. Well, what it, that was a question I had. So what when you said all right, Matt? I mean, I've seen the Whitewood, and the Whitewood has character on its own. But when you like what, what your I'm assuming you gave him just a few sentences, but it's like, this is the style or this is the goal. Or did you just tell him this is the story? I mean, it is a very retro neon, like what, what were the words that you synth wave is what, it's, not synth it, wave. Yeah, I know the music it's it's like new retro wave is like the style. So that's great. yeah. So basically what, so this is what happened with the art. And again, this is some stuff that I don't, I don't, I've not really actually talked about this very much, but I have a friend named Jeremy Wilson from Canada. Um, and he is, uh, he does like a lot of graphical stuff and, um, you know, he's, he's actually took a, uh, an old Gottlieb, um, Mustang pinball machine and, mm-hmm. her, uh, yeah, he took, he had a Mustang pinball machine. I think it was, it's an old EM, but he rethemed it completely and redid all the electronics in it and made it into this thing called hot rod. Okay. And it's, super, it's super cool, but he did all that. Or not. But anyway, so I first reached out to him and I was like, Hey, what do you think about this? Like, can you help me like brainstorm some ideas? And he's like, he's like, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So we sat down and we like brainstormed some stuff. I'm like, I really want it like super retro wavy, like neon crap everywhere. Like over the top. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's like, okay, cool. This, this, and this. And I'm like, all right, perfect. So I'm like, all right, well, I got this artist that's going to like, go ahead and do this. Uh, so, you know, the Jeremy helped me like flesh out the ideas of like where to put things and how to do it because I'm a really horrible art director. Okay. So I, re- I rely a lot on, on the artists when I work with them to like, to like tell me what looks good and what doesn't because I kind of like, I can have a sort of vision. Sure. To, to like make it, exactly what i want like i I need help with that well it looks good and it it looks good to the point i actually own um i own a stern turtles and i'm a a huge Mm -hmm. turtles fan but i actually bought one of the stern banners and it's awesome i mean those huge canvas banners and to be honest i all all i want scott all i want is a tna banner like i want the same (laughs) 
thing but TNA. And I, whatever, if, if, if I need to talk to Matt directly, I'd love to, but I just want more of this art, you know, to well, display I mean, in my game room. So actually the funny thing is, is like, uh, design wise and like, I own every single thing about TNA except mm-hmm. for the art. Yeah. So I didn't actually pay for the art. Spooky Pinball paid for that. So they they own the art. I own the design, the okay. mechanics, the software, the music, like the story, the IP of all that. <laughs> yeah, the sure. actual art. So I cannot like print like big things and sell them off, you know? So I just need you to give me Chuck's direct number. So I can just yeah, call sure. him and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Um, so with the art, obviously the light show, and yeah. you said you you had started tinkering with the lights with 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 Dutch and yeah. So, so Dutch this Pinball, light show is yeah. So Dutch Pinball has that. Uh, they did a presentation back at Expo like 2014 or 2012. I don't remember exactly when it was, but mm-hmm. it showed how they can generate lights using Adobe Flash. Okay. Right? So that was um, that was what they did. They built this backend uh, that would that could make sweeps and stuff through uh, a bunch of lights, right? And they had it set up for a few RGB lights when they were working on Lebowski. Sure. And uh, you know, I was like, well, I'll tell you what. Let me let me run this thing in full RGB, right? It's never been run like pushed that hard because that's a lot of data. Like it's yeah. It, it's if I go, I'll, I'll tell you in a second, like I'll get into more details about how the light shows actually work, but um, it's a ton of data to run uh, a complete game, including all the GI is RGB because everything is three lights, right? You've got a red, a green and a blue light on every single led. And those are individual leds. Like the computer yeah. thinks those are separate lights, right? And you're just making colors based on which lights are turned on. Right. Sure. So in TNA, the light shows are updating at 30 frames a second. So they are, so every, like, so every second that light show, every single light in the game gets updated 30 times. Yeah. So that's like, that's actually the speed of a normal, like, you know, like a movie or something like that. Um, But actually, I think in the, I think I might have increased it actually in the last one. I think I screwed up a bunch of stuff when like one of the updates where I made the light shows kind of like work weird, but they, I think they're running a little faster now. Wow. But, uh, but yeah, that's normal like speed for movies was, you know, 29 frames a second or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, so those are updating like that. Um, so tons of data, uh, but we stressed out the Dutch pinball suite and it actually worked uh, and, and did it. But, that was the first full RGB game done on that, on that platform. So, Oh, it's a, uh, the light show on this is absurd and I think it's cool. And I think you should take some credit here. And and when you look at just the industry and the way the industry has gone, I mean, sure. I understand Jersey Jack and, and you already mentioned them, you know, wizard of Oz had a ton of lights, but it's just oh, yeah. now I feel like Stern stepping their, their light games up, you know, they're getting more RGB just recently Led Zeppelin now has the light rails on the, on the walls and, and Jersey Jack obviously with Guns N' Roses has the hot rails. I mean, I think people are finally catching on that, you know, we like our lights. So give us as much color and light as we can have. And, uh, can, but remember you got to use it properly. Yes. You can yes. jam way too much light in there. If you're not using it right and you're not using it effectively, that's the word I should be saying actually not right, but you got to use it effectively. 
That's fair. Yeah. No, I, and I, I think you do your, so my, one of my complaints with, with pinball is I feel like, uh, you know, even modes and stuff do a good job with games of making moments feel different than other moments. So it's like, okay, I'm in this mode and this mode feels different because of, you know, the, what I'm trying to hit, but instead of this ramp, I'm hitting this ramp. But I mean, you, you've done some cool stuff like Rick and Morty, you know, you have that one mode where it, you only use one flipper. Mm-hmm. Um, but with TNA, I think what's amazing is every single time you destroy a reactor, the color palette on the entire game changes mm-hmm. and the sound changes. And so you're playing the same table, but it, it looks different. Like you, you're visually and audibly, like you're saying with the, it, it, the game is changing, even though physically no hardware is moving, Correct. but it, yeah. it, it feels like you're at a different point in the game. Like when reactor three, the reactor three music is my favorite. So it's like, when that kicks in, that's like, here we are. You know, I almost don't want to destroy it. I want to enjoy this groove for a while. Um, yeah. What's, what's funny about reactor three's music is, uh, so I used to write a lot of very underground techno music, which is super repetitive and has very, like very repetitive aspects to it. Okay. And I thought Reactor 3's music was going to be too repetitive and too much like underground techno that to people and, and like to normal people. And I didn't okay. think people were going to enjoy that one as much. That's oh. super funny to me. I like it. I like it a lot. And <laughs> uh, awesome. and maybe it's also because Reactor 3 is where my extra ball shows up. So maybe I'm just excited for it. Well, but the first extra ball, have you gotten a Reactor 6 yet? Uh, so reactor, I I have gotten one shot away from reactor six. That's what, oh. so I've completed five. I know, I know. It was it was very frustrating because I was like, geez, if I could have just started that, it was one shot away from starting it. So it was literally one shot away from my extra ball. Yeah. to get into starting it. But to talk about the music, then the transition into music. When was were like was all of this? Had you already built the machine, and then this music was made specifically for this, or the, this is music you had made prior that you incorporated into the game, or or how how did when and how did did music become a part of this game? So I when I built the game, I wanted to I rushed myself to get the game done for Expo 2015, right? Was I think okay. it was 15? Was it 2016? I don't know. I'd have to go look again. I think it was 20. It was 2016. It was Expo 2016 is when I was rushing to get the Whitewood there. Um, And it only had, like, it had just very basic stuff, right? It had basic light shows and two tracks. It had the main track that I made just for the game, and it had the the Alpha Particles track, which is the Reactor 1 song. Okay. So that music was all 100% written for TNA. And by the time I finished everything for TNA, um, it's, it was all done just for that game. Like that music was not made for anything else. Okay. But everything else was, yeah, you, you had wrote elsewhere or what? No, I mean, that's, that's all, that was all done for TNA. Oh, uh, so everything in it. So everything in it was specifically for TNA. Specifically done just for that game. Yep. So like, was there pressure then? Because obviously everybody's going to, everybody knows Beepgate or everybody knows, you know, the original track, the starting track, that is a song. I think anybody, if you, anybody that owns TNA, if you just said, Hey, can you, can you sing TNA? They could immediately dive into that song. <laughs> but then, so was there pressure on deciding that song? And then also the multiball song, because the multiball song is something you hear over and over again. Oh yeah. So, um, well I had, so the, um, the first track is, uh, it was obviously, I just, I just wrote it like, you know, I, I just made it the way it is. And that was 
that was just what happened and it just happened to be the main track and it was not annoying enough i thought <laughs> that, that i could have that as the main track um the same with the um with the with the multiball music because that's uh it's a very like like medium energy drum and bass track okay so it's not something i i really i really wanted to make the music not offensive to people that don't listen to electronic music and that's very difficult to do because you want the electronic music people to enjoy it and respect it and you know and love what you did but you also don't want to alienate your audience of people that don't listen to that stuff so what i did was i brought the tempo way down from techno music so this runs this runs at a very like much slower tempo than normal like techno music does um which helps with people like accepting it. Right. Um, and I also didn't want to make super annoying noises. Like if you've ever heard dubstep music, it, yeah, that is, um, although I do appreciate styles of that music, that music will completely alienate you from people who don't listen to electronic music and don't understand what's actually going on. That's fair. Yeah. So, no. I- yeah. So that was the number one goal was just to make some, make a genre that was it, that was acceptable. So it's great. And I, I actually sent you a video on, on the pin side thread where my daughter at the time, she was like one and a half and I would turn on your soundtrack. Well, she enjoyed uh, when she was young, I would strap her on like a carrier and she would just watch like TNA was her favorite game to watch. I don't really know. I mean, she couldn't talk. I'm assuming it was her favorite game, but <laughs> she was, she was all about the light show and the, and the music. And, and, and I would joke around with, uh, with my wife, you know, cause she'd want to put on whatever, like baby Einstein and educational music. And every once in a while I would on our, on our home pod or whatever, I'd be like, Hey, you know, autumn, do you want to, you want to listen to pinball music? And she's like, yeah. And it was yours. It was always your music awesome. and she loved it and would dance. And there was one time in the video, I I'll have to link it, but the, I, I went to leave and my wife sent me this video and it was my daughter and she's holding the speaker, a little Bluetooth speaker. And she's asking my wife for pinball music. And so here she is like a one and a half year old girl requesting to hear your music. So I, if that's, that's quite a target audience between some of your owners Mm. all the way down to little kids. So you, you, you nailed it when it came to the music for sure. That's awesome. Uh, So light show killed it. Music killed it. Um, when, like, when did you know, you said you were designing this game, you wanted a game that you wanted to play and a game that your friends wanted to play, but like, when did you know it was good? Like, when did you know this is working? Um, it didn't occur to me uh, until, um, well, see, it was at Expo 2016, and people were really gathering around it and liking it because of the social aspect of it. Sure. And it, I think maybe it was at Pinball Expo 2016 when I started, people, where there was a line for it. I'm yeah. like, there's no way I'm like, there's no way there's a line for my game, you know? Yeah. What the hell? You know, that's, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, there was a line for it. People were throwing dollars on the glass and I just, I couldn't, it was like the, this like happy feeling and, yeah. you know, that I had succeeded at what I tried to do. Proud parent. Yeah. yeah it was a proud parent thing. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, so, so who then, 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 then it was, yeah. So th- I think at that point I realized, oh, I might actually be onto something. Like when I was, when I was setting all these guidelines for myself, I think I might've accidentally stumbled onto, onto something that, that actually worked. Yeah. 
And so that kind of leads me into, so who, who has played your game that you were the most maybe proud of, or like most nervous of, or like, there's obviously been people that have probably played and complimented your game. Like I know you're a Steve Ritchie fan and I know he's played it. So uh, is he like the fact that, I don't know who blew your mind the most that they, they liked your game. So it it comes to, there's two different people that come to mind when I, when I get it, if I get asked that question. So like, let's see, like, so Steve Ritchie is an obvious one because Steve Ritchie as, as one of my favorite pinball designers, Mm -hmm. like just, what he has done is just incredible. All the innovation that he's done in the past is just crazy. Um, but having him play it and say that he thought it was, he's like, Oh, this is pretty good. You know, that's, that's pretty incredible to me. Yeah. Um, but the thing that was, that really stood out to me, which is interesting is that, um, before any of this happened, um, like before any of the production stuff was talked about, um, Ed Robertson came up to me and said that he had played the game and loved it so much that he kept playing it over and over again. He said, if you ever get a chance to make this in production, I will buy the first one. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I was like, that's, I'm like, Ed, that's crazy. I'm like, that, yeah. first of all, you're crazy. That's and I know you and Jack actually drove the first one up to his house and did one of the reveal the reveal stream there. Yep, and I I, we kept the promise to him, so it's like the game was made and we sold him the very first one. So he's got serial number one, and I actually hand helped hand assemble that one with the Spooky team. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, I did just I totally forgot to ask it earlier, but the beacon was the beacon always on the machine. It was, was. Yeah. part of it. It was. I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to have a beacon on it because like I, I was such a big fan of like high speed and yeah, you know, like F fourteen, like yeah. how it has these beacons going off the top. And I'm like, well, if you're melting down a nuclear reactor, guess what? <laughs> you need a yeah. you need a beacon. So I um for the Whitewood, I purchased a forklift. It's actually kind of difficult to find a red, like a real red beacon. Huh. They're all they're most of them are like amber color. Or like, oh yeah, yeah. Like red and yeah. blue in the United States is a little bit hard to get your hands on, um, but I bought a uh, forklift beacon for the Whitewood, which has a strobe, like a very very high power LED strobe in it. Um, <laughs> and I used that one at first, and then I, you know, I, obviously when we went to production, there's a whole other thing. You know, you got to try and look for something you can have a sustainable supply of and also afford. <laughs> so incredible, yeah. yeah. The beacon that's on the original Whitewood is actually kind of expensive because it was just off of a forklift, but that's great. Well, uh, fantastic addition. Um, but back to back to the code. So co-op. When was co-op always planned, or when was that put in the code? And like the reception of that, I'm assuming you realize pretty quickly is is awesome. Yeah. So co-op was not planned at the beginning. I didn't have the idea to do that until later on. Um, but again, this hasn't been, this has been done before, right? Yeah. It, it's been not in the same way that I did it, but it's been done with the stern machines where they kind of group together and they add together the scores of the, of the, you know, the two people, right? So it's like a version. Sure. Have you seen that before on those? Yeah. Player one and three and two yeah, and four. Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, that like it, that sparked the idea. There was some talk about combining scores, um, on pin side. And then from all this, I I was like, you know, I'm I'm gonna build something that is done in video games, but not done in pinball. 
So that co-op style that I did is actually a video game style co-op, right? Okay. Yeah. So that's, um, so I started building that in and realized that that was way more fun than I thought it was going to be. So I really built a lot on that. Oh, it's, 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 it's probably the, it was the reason that it sold me on the game. So initially I, I, I've told this story before on, on this podcast, but I, I had a buddy come in from out of town and we went to a local pinball area and they had like 10 or 11 of the, of, of the newest games that were great. And we played every single one of them. And TNA was the one, he's a novice, but TNA was the one game that we could play co-op. And I was explaining what we're doing and we're playing together and we played every single one. And I was like, all right, well, what do you want to play again? And all he wanted to do the rest of the time we were there was play TNA. And it was because of co-op. And it was because like, I don't want to, you know, he's a novice. I don't want to compete against you. Like mm-hmm. I'll, let's work together. Exactly. And it's to, it, it was such an eye opener, that experience. Like I actually wrote multiple emails to multiple different podcasts <laughs> and just cause I wanted them to talk about co-op. And uh, there was one time when Ken Cromwell did his like 24 hour stream. There was actually a moment where you, and I think it was Joe Katz and, um, um, Holy cow. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Dwight, Dwight Sullivan. We're all sitting at the table and I actually in chat mentioned co-op. And what's really funny is at the time Dwight was actually coding turtles. No Mm. one knew this, but turtles has co-op. And so Dwight actually spoke really highly of co-op. Joe Katz spoke about it a little bit of like, I don't want to put that in the game and then everybody can see every bit of the game. But Mm-hmm. co-op to me is a no-brainer i think it's a it's a game changer yeah. for for pinball playing and i really what i and, and so so many people are like oh you know you could you could patent that or do something like this i'm like oh hell no yeah <laughs> that's just crazy i want people to take these ideas that i'm making if they want to take them and put them in their games i don't care who the manufacturer is just you know take the idea and do it like improve on it and then do it sure you know so this is an interesting question, and it's funny. I've I've streamed your game a few times, um, and I I I really get a kick out of streaming. And what I found is there's a lot of there's a lot of pinball people that have TNA. It's amazing to see how many people own this game, and everybody has a different appreciation for it. But um, what I found is there's there's a few different people that own TNA that are very skilled coders are very skilled and appreciate, you know, the fact that you've made this, mm-hmm. but they also know that you're a fan of open source and you're a fan of sharing. And so somebody threw out the idea and I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but what if, would you ever consider opening up TNA to the public or allowing people to use your machine for its hardware, but adjust or add to your code to do more with it? Is that ever been discussed or even a possibility? Yeah, so I I did discuss that with Charlie. There's there's reasons you can't do that as a company because okay. if somebody burns their house down because they messed they did some weird code thing and locked on all the coils and started a fire, uh, that there's a huge huge liability. Okay. So that's kind of off the table. Also, um, in TNA, I used like I have all my libraries and everything in there. Okay. So right now it's all encrypted. Um, sure. Should, can it be broken into? Yeah, probably. But like, you know, you'd really have to. Yeah, it's your, it's your stuff. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's my IP that I continue to use to this day. And I don't want that totally exposed. I am a big fan of open source though, but it, at this point it's still like, it's a commercial product and it can't be, it that's, can't be open sourced. That's totally fair. And yeah. I, and I know, 
um, that would lead to the next thing. But I know like the future, the code, your thoughts, your plans. What I will tell you is as a TNA owner, I, I, I know this game has been quote unquote complete, but it's not like you have continued to put out new things. I have, since I've owned the game, I've replaced all the drop targets because you coded in clear light, clear drop targets with new LED lights. I've replaced the display at the bottom with new with lights down there. Like you have continued to add to this game. And I understand I'm not expecting there to ever be an update with like, hey, I added, you know, a whole nother like a wizard mode or that like I, I get that. But this game still feels like it's it's in development. And, and so the future code wise I, like I know I've emailed you some suggestions on other potential like speed run games, speed run capabilities. Yep. Um I don't know have well, you we did put some of the speed run stuff did, did, so Yes. Yeah. Some of the some of the speed rest speed run stuff's in there. Like I just did the stuff that I could knock out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um you know, some of the other stuff just takes too long and I just don't have the time unfortunately to do stuff like that. Um but there is um I have some big things planned for uh, when TNA gets rerun. Awesome. So I am, I have been working on the software in the back here. Um, and when TNA rerun happens, I'm going to launch code for that game, which is also backward compatible with the existing machines. Scott, that makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody, everyone wins. And I talked to Charlie about this and we're all on the same page. Like, the TNA games that come out, the remake ones are going to be wired the same way. They're going to have the same computers in them. Like they're going to be the same, as same as possible to the originals yeah. because I want the code to be, be able to run on either one. It doesn't care which one it is. I think TNA 2.0 or whatever we're calling it, the rerun uh, is going to just have the upgrades already like installed in it. You know, that's a, That's awesome. And that makes me as an owner, you know, I, I feel I don't, like, you know, the people that, that had uh, Medieval Madness and Attack from Mars and had spent all this money getting the original games and then the remakes came out. I mean, I, I, I think it's awesome that they're remakes, but, and I, but here are these remakes have modern hardware and modern tech and they have, you know, crazy new light shows and crazy new displays. Yeah. And I know as an owner, you'd be in a tough spot. So when I first heard that there would be a TNA 2.0, my initial thought was like, this is this is probably my favorite game. This is a keeper for me. Like, should I be selling this game and prepare? Like, if there's a newer model, should I be doing that? And so to actually see that you're saying no, like this, you know, you're, you're showing yeah, a lot of really love to the original owners. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only reason I would do it at this point is is if I wanted like a brand new fresh play field. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but exactly. I'm not, or I think that yeah. there is going to be, so if you look at the Rick and Morty display panel, that okay. one, that like it's got that metal display panel that holds mm-hmm. the LCD that will be on the 2.0. So that's going to be a difference in the, in it a little bit, but it re- does it really matter? Not really. No, no. So, but I would tell you if you add one single led to the new game, that's not on mine, <laughs> that would probably be enough for me. Like as much as I love these light shows, <laughs> I would consider it just for that one extra blinky light. Cause you already have like, all the blinky lights, man. <laughs> I've added, I, and the, I'm telling you, man, putting it like, Props to to Eric and and GNR and having the the CE editions have the have the color changing lights on the bottom and the back mm-hmm. because just adding your speaker lights to the back 
what it does to the wall when I play. Ah, oh, it's so great. Oh yeah, it's, but that's really amazing. Yeah, because it goes critical yeah. and the whole place just goes red, probably. Yeah, I turn. I play in the basement. And normally, I when I stream, I unscrew the light bulbs directly above me, but for glare. But normally, I play with the lights on. But your TNA, no. If we're going at it, all the lights are off in the basement awesome. because that light show is worth it. But ah, oh, that's awesome. Well. I, that's really cool because a lot of these questions I've listened to a lot of your interviews and you know, it's clear that you have a lot of passion for this game and this game is, I don't see like you're continuing to pour love into this game. And so the fact that TNA 2.0 is coming out and, or another rerun and you're continuing to put into code. I, as an owner, it just makes me nothing but happy. And I, and I think your people are finding, you know, I wish there were more out there because I think more and more pinball people are realizing how great this game is. And and I know my initial reaction when I saw pictures was just like, well, that kind of looks boring. Like just because yeah. here I am, I was at the time I was somewhat novice. Where mm-hmm. the toys, where the ramps. That's the yep. same thing everybody said until I touched it and until I played it and until I felt the whole game shake when you light a reactor and until you experience co-op mode. Um, there's no game like this, and I that's and you know that. I mean, that's why I, I love this game, but. Um, the fact that it's evolving, I mean, I, I got to give props to Dwight Sullivan because Turtles, it's that game's been evolving. He's continued to add modes. He just recently added a mode, Half Shell Challenge, which is truly is a speed. It's a it's a speed. Um, what am I thinking of? Speed run. It's a speed run mm-hmm. mode. It's literally it's like it's tracking your speed. It's awesome. So I don't know what's coming. I'm excited. The fact that you're saying you're working on the code, I'm excited. I can't wait to touch uh, to to play it and touch it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I think looking at my questions, that's about all I got. Is there anything else? I mean, I know you've talked about TNA a lot, but is there anything else that it just the whole start to finish design process that you want to mention or, or hint on or any, anything yeah, like I, that? Yeah, I don't really know. Other than the fact that, that, uh, that I am still working on code today. Um, yeah, nothing really, man. I mean, that's, uh, it's a passion project for sure. And I, and I, I'll tell you what, like I, I'm, continuing to support it and continuing to hop in and help out with support in, in that pin side thread, because Uh I told people at the beginning, like, Hey, I'm not going to let you down. Like you put your trust in myself and spooky by buying this game from some unknown guy, right. That, you know, you don't, and it doesn't have ramps and toys on it. Like you bought this game and I'm going to make sure that you're happy with it. No, and and I I will say it has been cool being a part of that pen side thread. Like you are, you are TNA tech support, and you do it well, and you do it very well, and you're quick. It it always excites me. It's like, oh, there's six new posts in the TNA thread. I wonder what we're talking about. And it's like, oh, it's Scott helping somebody through a switch. <laughs> you yeah, know, so some of the switch issue or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's awesome. But yeah. well, great. Um, I, that was the main goal I know was just, let's dive into, I'm very curious. I like knowing how things are thought through and designed and how things are made. And I know there's way more to this. I know from a business, you know, the whole fact of working with spooky and manufacturing and the stress that that probably brought. And I, I mean, I know there's way more here, but uh, that was my main goal. I'm just, as somebody who sits down and thinks I'm going to design a game, where do you start? And I think you've done an exceptional job explaining that start to finish. So thanks a bunch for that. Um, yeah, no problem. Is there anything, I mean, feel free to, is there anything that you'd like to plug or mention or ways people can get a hold of you or, uh, yeah, I mean, if you guys, uh, all my stuff is on my website. If you guys just go to scottdenisi.com, there's like, I post blog posts on there of certain things and, uh, you know, all the music and stuff I'm working on is on there. Um, just kind of everything just, you know, go there. You can, 
interact on there a little bit. I've got some places that people can put comments and stuff, but there's sure. ways to reach out to me on there as a contact page. And yeah, and if anyone ever needs anything just uh, or has questions, just feel free to reach out. I'm a nice person. So Yeah, yeah. And I will say, and I, and I apologize if you don't want this, but I will say that you work at Pinball Life and I know I bought a set of your, your plastics at the bottom and I, and I actually emailed you and said, hey, any chance you'd sign one? Mm-hmm. And you did. You actually signed one of the, the replacement plastics. So on my game, I have your signature is on, on the plastic. So if all oh, of a sudden cool. you get flooded with requests for that, I mean, sorry, <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it's okay. really neat. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind doing stuff like that for people. Um, at first, like it's a little weird because I'm just a normal dude that just made some stuff, right? Yeah. And then I it, then I realized, like, oh, this isn't this isn't about me. <laughs> this is this is making the owner. Uh, this is for the owner, like it's for the collector. So that's yeah, great. I don't mind it's, doing it's that. It's absolutely stuff at great. All. Yeah. And I'll tell you, if I can talk Chuck into making banners, you know, feel free to <laughs> for feel free yeah, to design know, that right? too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this was episode 20. Once again, my name is Joel Engelberth uh, with Just Another Pinball Podcast. I do Just Another Pinball stream every Wednesday, 10 to usually 1 Eastern Standard Time. If there's anything I can do for any of the listeners, uh, feel free to email me at justanotherpinball at gmail.com. And Scott, thank you so much. I you Your game, I love your game. You're somebody as a creative thinker. You're somebody I definitely look up to. So the fact that I've had a chance to talk to you, get alone interview you is incredible. And uh, just thank you so much for for being a part of this. Oh, you're very welcome. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome. All right. That's it. And uh, hopefully everybody will hear from me soon. See ya.